0: And I'm Mary Kitsmiller from Kemp, Texas, and you're listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for July 6, 2023. Good morning, horse world. What is your favorite day of the week? You never stop learning. You never stop understanding. It's more in depth than just riding a horse. It's exciting, knowing that for the rest of my life I could work on this, and, and I'll never stop learning.
2: Welcome back, Mary. Mary's here along about the second Thursday of the month, sometimes the first Thursday of the month, whenever we can fit it in.
0: (laughs) Yeah, we're we're both busy people.
2: (laughs) We're both busy people. You had a clinic in Oregon since we chatted last. Is that right? Yes. Was it Oregon? Yes. Okay, so we're going to have the gal who organized the clinic come on, and we're going to chat a little bit about that. And we're going to chat about your training tip, which is always inspired by something interesting going on. And of course, we're going to answer some listener questions. If you have not had the opportunity to submit a training question, big or small, for Mary's show, that's probably because you're not an auditor yet. And to become an auditor, you just go to horsesinthemorning.com and click on the Become an Auditor banner. It's floating around there on the homepage somewhere. And for as little as a couple of bucks a month, you can join via Patreon, help support the Horse Radio Network hosts, and have the opportunity to submit questions and other cool stuff. And the best part of all, become part of the super secret, not really, Facebook page for Horse Radio Network auditors, where we all join in the great fun of being horse crazy people. And Mary is there a lot, too, sharing her adventures.
0: So speaking of adventures...
2: Did you have any, did you, was the adventure out and back from Oregon reasonably quiet this time?
0: Yes. So, um, I, the initial plan was I was going to drive out and my mom was going to come with me because we both made that trip before up to the Northwest and it's amazing and wonderful. And I love that drive, but, um, you know, we were looking at it, and it was going to be just a very long journey, and so decided at the last minute to fly. So that was about the only crazy thing that happened, and uh, so I, it was just me, flew out, flew back, and it was awesome. I love Oregon. I seriously would not mind moving there. I, I definitely want to move there. Actually,
2: <laughs> that's part. That's a part of the country I have not yet seen. The, the Pacific Northwest. I noticed that you posted some lovely pictures. Did you take the opportunity to spend a few hours looking about and absorbing the atmosphere?
0: Yes. So one of the places I wanted to go back to was the Columbia River Gorge, which goes from Portland out, you know, Portland area out west. And it is some of the most beautiful scenery I've ever seen in the country. And so I definitely wanted to go back out there. So I did stay an extra two days and I went out to the gorge and Multnomah Falls, which is the highest waterfall in Oregon. It's gorgeous. And uh, the other thing that I uh, wanted to see, which I had, I have never been to, despite having been to Oregon a number of times is uh, I wanted to see the Oregon coast, which was just jaw dropping. It was gorgeous.
2: Of course, it is. <laughs> now, you work with must.
0: you do a lot of Mustang stuff. Are there Mustangs in Oregon? There are. I can't remember the specific HMAs, uh, um, but yeah, there are Mustangs in Oregon. I'm, I'm like 99% sure. Uh, <laughs> okay. Yeah, or- Oregon listeners, hop over onto the Facebook page and say,
2: Tell us all about the Oregon, Oregon Mustangs.
0: Very oh, interesting. Yeah, and we had a few in the clinic. Okay. They oh, are did in, you really? I remember. Yeah, we had some Oregon Mustangs in the clinic. Duh. <laughs> Duh.
2: So each month we do a training tip. That's how we start out our show after we catch up on Mary's Creek. Oh, that was the other thing. I saw your posts about the chickens who are not yours. Bring us up to speed on the latest from the chickens who are not yours. Give us the background first and then how the family situation is going.
0: So my lovely neighbors um, have, uh, so the property next door actually was bought by this guy in California, some real estate guy, and he's been renting it to, to the tenants for the last several years. And so I've had a revolving door of neighbors and it's a familiar pattern of they move in, they get a bunch of animals, the animals cross over onto my property, and then they're my problem. And so I've had stray donkeys and dogs and uh a horse jump the fence once, uh, lots of chickens. Uh, I've had sheep come over that and then give birth, and I had to bottle feed my neighbor's sheep. <laughs> uh yeah, a I've had a yearling bull. Um jump the fence into my place so it's just it's it's so much fun such fun uh but this last group of neighbors have lived there for the last few years and in addition to their dogs uh that come over all the time um i get all of the neighbor's chickens like i think there's like 30 of them at this point
2: when you have Uh, free-range chickens they take that literally
0: there are no boundaries when you're
2: a free-range chicken
0: Yes. And I'm 100% sure my neighbors don't have any kind of coop um, or anything like that. They just get the animals and then sprinkle them about and let whatever happens, happen. (laughs) So uh, because I do have several structures that are very chicken friendly on my place, you know, that used to be coops. When we had our own chickens on the property, uh, the chickens of course come over and hang out with us. And so I have a lot of chickens that really pretty much live here, but they're not my chickens. So I always joke about, I post pictures of them on Facebook and say, these are not my chickens. And, um, so I've got a bunch of chickens. And then recently a couple of, uh, boneheaded guineas, like by boneheads, I mean, they're not bright, Uh, So a couple of guineas have taken residence and their favorite pastime is to come over to my place and uh, go up to my trailer, which has shiny aluminum sides. And they um, squawk at their reflections and peck at my trailer incessantly and poop all (laughs) over the steps on my trailer. You
2: You need to go to the Dollar General store and buy a couple of those cheap plastic mirrors and put them elsewhere to give them a better target, oh, put them maybe put clever, them over near yeah. your your neighbor's property.
0: <laughs> yes, yeah. Uh, so yeah, I've had these guineas that you know and guineas are pretty loud. They're really good alarm animals. Uh, they're they just they squawk anytime anything's out of place. Uh, and so there's two of them. And So they recently showed up the other day with baby guineas, which I can't remember what they're called. They're not chicks, but They're tiny, tiny guineas. So now I have a whole new family living at my place and it's wonderful. But (laughs) I guess compared to the other stray animals we've had of theirs, uh, chickens and guineas, not a bad thing. They're keeping the bug population at bay. Well, that is
2: true. That is the one thing guineas are good at is they are ravenous consumers
0: of insects of all sorts. Yes. And they take the job very seriously. They're, you know. On duty all the time.
2: (laughs) Well, there you go. We'll see see if the guinea chicks make it because guinea hens are not particularly good at defending their flock or keeping it out of harm's way. So we'll see how long they last.
0: Yeah, they're they're not the smartest birds on the planet. I love them. They scream a lot. That's all they do. They just scream a lot.
2: When there's danger, they scream. And then that's all. (laughs) They'll let you know
0: if someone showed up
2: to your place. There you go. Well, that's, that's good to know. Cause I, I'm, I just love farm birds, chickens, geese, ducks. I love them all. So every month we do a training tip and the training tip is usually inspired by something. So a, what's the tip and B what's it inspired by?
0: Okay. So the tip is how to use stillness as a reward your horse, which is something that I've, a concept that I've used for many, many years. Um, And, but I, you know, I've sort of been taking it to another level with uh, this new book I'm reading. It's from one of my favorite clicker trainers, Alexandra Curlin, and the book I believe is called Modern Horse Training. And um, I really love her program, not only for you know learning more about positive reinforcement training, but the ideas that come that have sprung from it and inspired me to create my own methods. Um, you know, it's just very out of the box, and it, it it's a great way to kind of exercise my own mind when it comes to horse training. Um, great book, can't recommend it enough. Uh, so one of the Foundation exercises in most clicker training programs and especially in Alex's program is uh, a method where you stand still next to your horse and you're going to be rewarding stillness and good behavior in your horse. Uh, and that is usually used, th- this type of exercise is usually used to teach your horse, okay, we're training with food, I have a bag of cookies on me, you realize I thought I have a bag of cookies, let's work together about you not trying to eat the bag of cookies or bite my arm or being silly or pushy because now we're using food. So it's a very important part of that training because one of the one of the big drawbacks as many people know of using any kind of treats with your horse and in horse training is you can create a pushy treat monster and your horse is overstimulated way too excited and you know it can it can really be unsafe if you don't uh really work on it so when I first, so everyone has like a different name for it. Uh, I like to use the name, mind your manners. Uh, I know Alex Curlin calls her uh, method of teaching horse to behave around food. Uh, grown-ups are talking, which I think is really clever because it's, it's uh, in reference to like, if you've got a little kids around and they're running around going, mom, 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 mom. And you have to tell them, <laughs> grown-ups are talking. Which essentially is is what it means in horse terms is I'm going to stand here and you're going to stand here and your job is to take care of yourself and, and take care of your own emotions. And I'm going to teach you how to do that. I'm going to teach you how to self-soothe even when I'm not 100% engaging you all the time. Uh, So it's really useful, not only for food, but, you know, in many situations where we need our horse to stand still and quiet. And I've talked about this a lot on the show. We tend to think of horse training as I need to train my horse to jump and I need to train my horse to go over this obstacle and get in the trailer and walk and trot and canter. We don't have a lot in traditional horsemanship of dedicated exercises of I need you to stand still. And I need you to be quiet. And I need you to do this for a long period of time. And I need you to do this sometimes when you're not comfortable. Um, So there's a lot of parts in our horse's life where we need them to stand still for both of our safety. And sometimes those can be high stress situations. For instance, um, you're colicking and the vet needs to come out and look you over and poke you with things and palpate and do things. And you have to stand still and allow this to happen to save your life in some cases. Uh, Or I need you to stand on a trailer for four hours because we're driving to another state. Or I need you to stand quietly for the farrier. Um, I need you to stand at the head of the trail while we're waiting for our friends to get on, even though it's really exciting and it's cold out, you have to stand and wait. So it's you need to train this. You can't just expect it to happen in a high stress situation. So this whole grown-ups are talking thing is a way to plant that seed and you start, um, you know, just for short moments? Can you stand for f- a few moments at a time? And you build on that. Can you stand for a few mom- more moments? And you could take this to the nth degree. Can you stand for several minutes? And so that's something I've explored a lot over the years. And again, initially, I only thought this exercise was good for when you're beginning clicker training and your horse is excited about food, you need to teach them, hey, don't, don't be a knucklehead. We're going to stand quietly next to each other. You're going to have the temptation of the food, but you're only going to get rewarded when you're standing and your head is straight and you're not reaching into the bag of cookies. So I only practiced that exercise enough to be like, okay, you know, the rules, let's move on to the fun stuff. Let's go can around at Liberty. And it took me a long time to really understand no, this goes so much further than that. And it needs to be practiced a lot. It needs to be practiced every day in varying degrees. Um, so that, so I knew about that and then it, there's actually a whole other level to it which is I'm discovering more about in this book you can start to use that exercise to actually reward other behaviors so what I mean by that is first you get this exercise going you know you reinforce it a lot and you build a strong history of reinforcement with this exercise so that means you practice it a lot and you reinforce it a lot and in this case I'm using food Rewards. Um, and after a while, the horse starts to change. They initially only stand still because they, they know it gets them cookies. So they'll be pretty antsy, but they know they should stand and then they stand and then they get their cookies. But once you reinforce it over and over and over and over again, pretty soon they start to look at the exercise itself of standing still as being the reward. Like, now, oh my gosh. Ned, I, if I, I have a question here. So <clears throat> so
2: I get my terminology right, because it's important that we understand the appropriate words to describe what's happening. You use that, the horse starts to say to himself, I love doing this exercise, because he associates the exercise with getting the right answer and getting rewards and having lots of lots of happy dopamine. Is that where the horse crosses into classical conditioning, where even though you're not actually giving him a reward for be- that behavior he gets a similar dopamine rush because he's done it so many times before.
0: Yes. Yes. He's done it so many times before and it's all, it's been rewarded so much that it becomes less about the horse. It becomes, you know, just only doing it for the food and yeah, they all the positive associations that happen when they're getting their treats transfer to the standing still, like, oh man, every time I stand still, good things happen. Let's do it again. Maybe it'll happen again. Let's do it again. Okay. Yes. Okay. And yeah, and eventually you build duration to where you're not having to click and treat every second that they stand. You know, you start to build duration um, by, okay, now you need to stand for five minutes, now 10 minutes. So you, over time you do lose, use less, uh, less food and eventually no food. Because, yeah, pretty soon the standing becomes the reward in and of itself. So that is also a phenomenon I've witnessed for many years. Um, So then there starts, you can add another layer to this of chaining other behaviors to this standing still behavior, if that makes sense. So Explain what chaining is. Yes. So you're literally taking two, two things that you want your horse to do and you're linking them together and you're using this to create more complex behaviors. Uh, so, um, you know, you can use it to create little patterns. Like, you know, I could chain a rating pattern together where I, you know, initially when you're clicker training, you're, you're clicker training one behavior at a time, but then you'll start to say, okay, now I want you to do this. And then I want you to do this. And then you'll get the click and treat and then you'll chain another behavior to that okay now you have to do three things so like if you think about it in dog training um a dog fetching is several behaviors chained together so it's the dog sitting still in front of you it's the dog coming to you it's the dog going out to get something and then finding it and picking it up and bringing it you know all of that is like several different things chained together if that makes sense okay um So the exercise that I'm doing a lot of in Alex's book is you've already established you stand next to your horse and they stand quietly next to you and you've rewarded that a whole bunch. You've built duration where they can stand next to you for long periods of time without demanding a tree or getting antsy. And uh, you actually put a sort of cue to this. So uh, what I do is I stand next to I stand next to my horse and I clasp my hands together in front of me. It's almost like sort of like a parade rest, you know, type of thing where I'm just relaxed. I'm standing facing forward next to my horse. My hands are clasped together. So every time we do this still exercise, that's the position I stand in. So that horse associates when I stand like that, that means, oh, we're doing the standing still game. So from there, I'm going to add something new to it. So I'm going to ask my horse to walk forward with me one step. And then I go right to that standing quietly stance. So I go forward one step and then relax, stand quiet and then click and treat. So as my horse comes forward with me, you know, first I go from looking very active and I'm going to walk forward and then I'm going to relax. And, um, so when they see me go into that relaxed position, they're like, oh boy, we get to do the standstill game and they stand still, they click a treat. So then I'll add more to it. So then I'll take two steps forward and then relax and then three steps and then four steps to where you're walking along with your horse and every time they see you relax, they relax. So this has, this can affect your riding. Cause that's what I, I want that horse, no matter what I'm doing with them, to read my body language, when I relax, you relax, and you can keep tacking more things onto that. Uh, you can take more steps. You can start, uh, you know, doing turns and all of this stuff. And you always come back to, I'm going to stand and relax. And every time that horse sees you do that, he remembers. Oh boy, we get to do the standing still game. I love that because I so associ- I I have all these positive feelings around it, and. I've, so how this can affect other areas. I've started using it more when I'm riding Remy. I want to teach him to crave stopping. So when I say, whoa, I want him to go, oh my gosh, I get to stop because in the shows that I do with Remy, you know, I'm doing a lot of raining patterns, which calls for these big sliding stops. I want him to go, yes, I can't wait to stop instead of I'm not going to stop. You're going to have to really pull on me to get me to slow down and stop, which is never fun when you're showing in front of a judge. <laughs> <laughs> if You're having to beg your horse to do the maneuvers. Um, so I did the same thing, uh, that same concept, only under saddle. So I actually uh, made the backup the reward, because in order to get a sliding stop, you want your horse thinking back when you say, whoa, and that's how you get them to tuck their little button and slide into the ground. Um, so I, uh, I would back rim me up and then reward, back him up, reward, back him up, reward, back him up, reward. And, um, and I would say, whoa, as I'm backing him up, because for a reigning horse, I want, whoa, to essentially to mean, I want the word, whoa, to, mean back up. And that's how you get him. like I said, to kind of sit down and really stop hard. Um, and so then I would walk a few steps forward and say, whoa, and he would immediately stop and start backing. And then I'd click and treat. And then I'd do it a few steps more, say, whoa, da, 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 da. So I'm trying to put more of a positive com- uh, connotation on the word, whoa. And so then what I'm doing during my rides is if he's riding around and I'm like, man, you're really soft in my hands. You're feeling really good. Guess what? I'm going to say, whoa. And so Remy has started to go, oh my gosh, I can't believe I am so excited. You said the word, whoa, that means I get to stop. So I'm using that all throughout my riding. I'm using the whoa, not as simply as a maneuver that I'm making you do. I'm using it as a, wow, you're doing really great. Guess what we get to do now? So that's just like a really fascinating thing that I've been messing around with. And I want—I was excited to share. <laughs> <laughs> that is interesting. Um,
2: when you find a behavior that the horse is physically and mentally competent at, sometimes it's because they didn't start out that great, but they've gotten really good at it going that becoming your go-to behavior and it literally becomes a reward in and of itself is a really, really handy tool to have. Yeah. Like when you have a, a lot of times dogs, will get to the point where sit is a reward because they know something great's going to happen when they sit. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. For Nigel right now, it's um, side passing when we're doing groundwork He, he thinks side passing is the most amazing thing ever. He, he volunteers it. He gets all excited when he gets to do it. I don't know why he came that way, but if, if he's a little bit fidgety and I need to find him something that he can do to go, Oh yes, I got the right answer. Yay. Me side pass go there.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, it's kind it's a nice problem to have like, Oh darn, my horse just wants to side pass all the time. And (laughs) You know, it's, I, I want my horse to be like super eager to do the things, you know, the, you know, rather than, uh, oh, my horse just wants to run off all the time. I'd really love it if my horse is like, man, he just really wants to do lead changes. And I, you know, I have to tell oh, yeah. him to wait. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. I would. Yeah. I have to be careful
2: not to, I don't actually practice that behavior because he volunteers it so much it's kind of his go-to his his way of saying, I deserve a pat on the back right now. I'm doing this. And no, I didn't ask you to do that. So I try not to practice it. I reserve it for those times when I need him to pay attention to me and he needs to be here with me right now. You need to be paying attention. And I can ask him to do it. And because it's, it consists of moving his feet, even when he's a little bit up, there's a lot of distractions around or something. It's useful because versus stand quiet, that's really hard when you're Uh, eyes are bugging out of your head because there's a hurdle cat herd of cattle running towards us i can ask for that side pass maneuver which doesn't require him to stand still really hard to do but it still gives him the oh pay attention to mom because we're doing something she loves and i'm liable to get a good boy out of it oh yay cool good stuff
0: Yes, I I love learning
2: new things. Yeah, it's cool stuff. Well, we're going to take a quick break here for one of our many sponsors. Yay, we couldn't do this show without them. And when we come back, we're going to chat with Danny, who organized the clinic in Oregon. And we're going to find out how it went. Some people don't think horses and people
0: communicate. We call those people not horse people. Not horse people don't know you and your horse share a unique bond. Or that your horse knows you know they like your dogs but not so much the barking. At Sentinel Horse Nutrition, we don't knock not horse people. We're too busy focusing on horse people's horses. With extruded nugget feeds for exceptional nutrition and formulas for every need, our wide choice of feeds makes it easy to find the fit for your horse's health. Find theirs at feedsentinel.com. Okay, so we have Danny Russell, who was the host of the Oregon Clinic, on with us and figured we'd have her on and chat a little bit about the clinic and all fun things horse training. How are you, Danny? I'm good. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here.
1: Awesome. How is your lovely mare? Oh, she's doing good. She's doing really good. Sassy as always, but very, very good.
0: So she has one of my favorite breeds of horses to work with a very young and very clever, warm blood. And she Mm. is super fancy and very opinionated. Um, (laughs) uh, (laughs) Yes. Yes. And you are, you've done most of the work with her in, in doing all the cult starting yourself. Is Mm -hmm. that correct? Yep.
1: Um, obviously with help from you and from, I also, uh, talk with Shauna Kresh too. Um, but yeah, I got her as a six month old. Um, and it was the first baby I ever got. Uh, and I just kind of dove in because I wanted to learn and experience it and have done all the work up into being the first writer on her.
0: Yeah, which is incredibly impressive because babies are a ton of work, especially if you have like really smart and athletic babies. Mm -hmm. And uh, she's definitely one of those. Um, (laughs) And I mean that in a totally good way. She's a really I know
1: (laughs) she's a really really fun challenge. It's the hardest thing I've ever done. um, I swear. I I call my mom all the time, and I'll ask her. Like one time, I called her, and I go, "Mom, like, how do you?" When I was young, because I think Evie's a lot like I was, very independent, very confident testing boundaries. And I would always call my mom for advice and try to get, like, what did you do in this situation with me? And she just thinks it's hilarious that I have a filly a that's just like I was when I was little. <laughs>
0: That that kind of is how it happens oftentimes. I don't know if we rub off on them or if the universe sends right. a horse version of us into our lives. I have no yeah. idea. I don't know either, uh, but it's been fun. Uh yeah, definitely, definitely an adventure, those babies. Um, so yeah, we, so I know I've been out to work with her and, uh, we've, we've had a couple clinics, she's been a part of a couple of clinics and you've mm-hmm. had Shauna out. Um, so, you know, looking back at kind of all the clinics and stuff that you've done, um, what are some of the things that have stood out that you feel have really helped that, you know, um, was e- aha moments?
1: Well, I feel like I've had a lot of aha moments just as she's grown and I've figured out like, you know, when to teach her certain things. Um, One of them being like, I think you said it in the last clinic, um, there's no reason to get frustrated or annoyed at a behavior. It's just where the horse is at that moment. And that's always, you know, it's a challenge just because, you know, things are frustrating and you want to teach a certain thing or you want to get something done. Um, And that's, you know, that's kind of what's always going through my mind of like, well, wherever she is, that's where we can train. Um, and sometimes I have to turn on meditation music from my Spotify <laughs> just to be <laughs> just breathe and it is okay. And if it takes 10 minutes to put the bridle on, we're going to do it in a calm way. Um, so that's been really, really helpful. And then just as a whole, being able to, you know, have different tools in my toolbox of, how to manage certain behaviors or how to help her understand what we're trying to do has been really helpful. And, and because I've done it myself, I've been trying to um, you know get a lot of education from, from different perspectives on how somebody might train something because that way I can kind of figure out what makes sense to me. Um, and you've been so great in that because I feel like the clinics with you have been really conversational, which has been so helpful in talking through, okay, well, I might do it this way. What are your thoughts? Um, and that's been just so like, like such a value add, um, to my learning and her learning.
0: Okay. Well, I'm glad that was helpful. Yeah. Uh, and, Yeah. I think that was kind of a a theme on this last clinic because we did have uh, some young horses and some very green horses. Mm -hmm.
1: And,
0: you know, I, I know that, you know, some, sometimes we find ourselves in like, man, I just don't know what to do. Or I've been trying this and it's not working and feel those feelings of frustration and I know my go-to thing when I feel that creeping up is I start to get a little less like pragmatic and sensible about it, and I start yeah. questioning all my life choices and wondering <laughs> what the heck yeah. I'm doing with my life, and you know why yeah. why didn't I go into accounting? <laughs> <And> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that is very hard to overcome and I've spent more than my fair share of time crying over horses (laughs) and yeah yeah. (laughs) and just being out in the middle of the arena with a horse just bawling I've totally been there and but I did start to experience a change over time to where I really step back and I'm like oh man I have not had a really frustrating upsetting horse training day in a long, long time. And I think the change occurred. I've been fortunate enough to work with lots and lots of young horses, mm-hmm. which, you know, it's one of those things. If I could bottle that up, that experience of working tons and tons of different horses up and give it to people and they could have that knowledge as well. Because what happens when you do that is you realize that. This is just part of horse training. This is just what it is. Especially working with young horses. Um, you know, things come untrained, something that you practiced hundreds of times. One day you come out and they've act like they've never done it before. Mm -hmm. And our knee jerk is to be like, What's wrong with you? What's wrong with me? What's wrong with this situation? Mm -hmm. Um, but after a while you just start thinking, okay, well, I guess we're working on this today. And Mm -hmm. that's what we work on. And I think a lot of people don't understand that just because something's falling apart, it's not going right. It does not always mean it's your fault. It doesn't yeah. mean it's a bad horse. That's just, this is totally normal. This is yep. what happens.
1: And, yeah. With, and I, yeah. yeah.
0: And I think also like it, it's so much
1: highlighted with young horses and especially if, Someone like me, you know, this is the first time that I've had a young one, you kind of feel like, oh my gosh, I've done everything wrong. Or I'm at a point, like, I swear that she was better than that. Or I swear that I taught something. And it's that constant reminder of like, yes, but remember they're toddlers, like toddlers forget stuff and they have challenging obstacles. And like, you have to remember that, okay, it's okay. I'm not dealing with, you know, the mental, the mental capacity of another 30 year old.
0: (laughs) Exactly, yeah. exactly. And it is kind of insane when we think about it, that we're actually asking these giant toddlers, like, you need to be really chill for like the next hour. <laughs> and let me do all this stuff. And don't, don't be crazy about it. You know, I mean, that's, yeah. it's, it's a testament to how horses are just amazing to work with, because they're like, okay, yeah, you can ride me around, you know, I know. that they let <laughs> us do this. <laughs> Yep. Um, especially these, you know, it's, it, we're dealing with the thousand pound babies, um, yeah. which is, it can be a little daunting if you think about it. Um, and yeah, I think, I think that was, that was something that we saw come up, um, with a few different horses. Uh, and we did a lot of like, you know, feet handling and stuff. And, and that was something else that, uh, especially with the feet handling, that was something else that really stood out in my mind about getting the horse ready for the farrier. Because I know like Evie, that's been a really, it's it's been a continuing journey with yep. her and a couple of the other clinic horses. And after the clinic, I really sat and I brought it up once or twice in the clinic, but I really thought about it. And I thought about What are all the things that have to go right for that horse to stand perfectly for the farrier to do like a 20 minute trim or like a 15 minute trim? It doesn't really take that long if everything's going correctly. And so it seems like something that's so simple, but you have to get a lot of things working. You have to have a horse that will stand still for a long period of time, which we just talked about earlier in the show. You have to have a horse that will let you touch all four of his legs inside and out And then he has to willingly, willingly give you all four of his feet. And, then he has to stand there and let you hold his feet for a long period of time as you're kind of twisting and looking at his heel angles. And then mm-hmm. he has to put up with all of your tools, you know, clipping his feet and rasping on him and hoof knife and all of that. And then he has to stretch his feet forward and put him on a hoof stand, you know, in awkward angles. Um, and then you have to repeat all of this with a totally strange and new person that they only see, uh, you know, every six weeks or so. Yeah. Uh, so there's a lot. And and again, you know, try doing this with a horse that has the mental capacity of a toddler and that kind of attention span. And you have to be able to repeat this over and over and over again. Um, so, you know, it really kind of shows you all the work that's going to be involved in actually training your horse to accept all of these things, because it goes so much further than just let me pick up your feet.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you highlight the most like the most challenging part is the attention span. It's, it's that, you know, maybe they can do all of those things, but sometimes it's like, you know, they get to a certain point because they've been a little wiggly and we're taking a little bit longer. And then they're like, we can't do it anymore. I can't stand here. <laughs> so it's that challenge of keeping their mental capacity there.
0: Yeah. And, you know, that's one of the things I see in dog training and on the positive reinforcement side of horse training is, you know, you do Mm -hmm. exercises to get the behavior started, like to teach, like, hey, pick up your feet. But you also have to repeat those same results in higher stress situations, uh, which is, you know, new person coming and Uh, and sometimes like with, uh, with my Mustangs, I experience this all the time. I'll have my farrier out and maybe we only get two front feet done in this Mm -hmm. trim, or we get all the feet done, but we don't do the fancy top dressing, like putting them on the hoof stand and making it look all pretty and all of that kind of stuff. And, uh, it's just another kind of highlight of all the like arduous work it takes, you know, raising these, these young ponies, Mm um, So much. Yeah,
1: (laughs) I I think one of the best things that actually I learned from my dog trainer who you met, Kelsey, um, is that training come like you have to think about training and she calls them the three D's. So distance, duration and difficulty and only being raising each one of like only raising one of those at a time. So if we're going to raise duration, we can't raise the difficulty of the task or if we're going to do things like standing still, um, we're not going to take away the distance of maybe me being super far away from them um, or things like that. So I'm always trying to think about that too, of like, okay, if I'm going to raise the criteria, which one of these am I raising at what time?
0: That's an excellent point. And it's something that um, the dog trainers have really figured out and I'm starting to see it uh, Spill over into the horse world with you know mm-hmm. trainers like Shauna and and Alex and uh, a lot of the positive reinforcement trainers out there and a lot of traditional trainers have their own way of creating all these situations and um, yeah that it I think it's uh, it's that's a really good point because. So like I'm working with uh, teaching my horse to ground tie mm-hmm. and it's one thing if they will stand perfectly still while I'm next to them, but You know, in order to get that ground tie really good, I need them to do it for a prolonged period of time. So that's our duration training. And then I need um, I need them to stand still, even if I walk away from them to go over to the fence to pick up a saddle blanket. Um, And then there are going to be times where I need them to stand still and we're at a horse show. Uh, some of the patterns that I do, it calls for it in the pattern where you need to ground tie your horse and walk off and show that your horse will stand still, and that's ground tying in a really high stress situation. And to work on those, you don't just do it all at once. And if you if you're working it one at a time, you're going to sacrifice uh, some of the other elements. So if I'm working on walking away from my horse. Uh, in the ground tie, let's say my horse, I've built up duration to where he'll stand still for three minutes. Well, if I now add distance into that equation, now I'm going to practice walking away from you. I'm going to accept, uh, I'm not going to demand that he stand for three minutes and let me walk away. I've got to, okay, let's stand for a few moments as I walk away and then I'm going to come back. And so there's all these like different levels that go into every single maneuver that we teach our horse. And I think looking to the dog training world, uh, mm-hmm. where they, they are really well established with a lot of those protocols can be really inspirational and helpful with horses. Yep, absolutely. Um, so yeah, so those were a couple of things that, that stood out in my mind. Um, was there any other kind of moments um, from that clinic that you you thought, man, that's that's pretty cool, like something other horses did or figured out? Um, I don't know if it was
1: something in particular, but I think one of the things that we just worked on as a whole was just that mental state for the horse and helping them understand, you know, when you're stressed out, where what do you do? Or when you're scared, what do you do? Um, and that, you know, the the anxiety level, the stress level of the horse is always super important to take into consideration. And that's kind of the building blocks of how we get them to do certain things is we keep that mental state in a place where they know how to get back to. Um, so it was just really cool to watch, you know, how the different horses react differently. Um, and then how we're able to still help them come back kind of into their brain and their body and take that deep breath. Um, that's Evie's thing. Like she loves to hold her breath. (laughs) she'll she'll hold her breath and be like, I don't know. So, um, so much of what I try to do. I mean, I'll even take audible deep breaths next to her. Actually, my, my older gelding, who's amazing, who (laughs) I had them boarded together at one point and he would audibly take deep breaths. I swear when he knew we were both holding our breath. So (laughs) it was uh, was just a really great thing to, to remember, like before you do the next thing, why don't we all just breathe for a second and then we'll move on. So it's just good to have those kinds of tools and to see how, how each of the different horses react, um, uh, react in their own way and helping them figure out how they can do it themselves.
0: Yeah, that, that's a really good point. And it, it kind of, it reminds me of like the training tip I was talking about earlier of using that stillness as a reward. Um I can't remember if someone asked it at this clinic, if it was a question that was asked, but I remember talking about, um, oh, it just skipped my mind totally what I was going to (laughs) say. Oh, (laughs) teaching that horse to soothe themselves when things get high stress. Uh, Mm -hmm. So, you know, using exercises where we're going to reward a lot of stillness, I think is really important because hopefully that transfers. Uh, So the way that we did it at the clinic, a lot of the horses that came in, you know, they haven't been off the property a lot. We had some, you know, very fresh, almost off the range Mustangs that are getting ready for a training competition. We had some young horses, you know, that were just starting to experience hauling out. So of course, a lot of them walked into the arena just like, you know, going bananas, screaming, (laughs) their friend just walked off and they don't know where they are. And so in that case where it's like really in the moment, you know, I had to jump in a couple of times and give the horse something to do. Like, I'm going to show you what to do to feel safe. And so it, it involved like, first, let's establish that you need to stay away from me because you're about to jump on top of me. And that's not no one's going to have a good time if that happens. Yeah. Um, so you need to stand out over there away from me and you need to put two eyes on me. And I don't look at that exercise as a sign of like subservience, like I'm the alpha and you need to put two eyes on me to show me respect. It's it starts out merely as a if you're facing me, I can keep a hold of this lead rope because if you run backwards, I can stay with you. If you go sideways, I can stay with you. But you can't turn and run off or run past me because then I'm going to let go of the re- lead rope. I won't be able to keep up with you and you might kick me as you go by because you're so so that that had to be the starting point for a lot of horses of you need to get back. I need to face me. And um, more often than not. You give those two very simple requests, but it's very hard for them in that moment. Um, But after a while of just reminding them, hey, you need to stay back there. I want you to put two eyes on me. Um, You see the horses start to calm down. And in a situation where I'm able to train all of this at home and everything's much calmer, more relaxed, I want to build a really solid history of teaching the horse hey, if things get stressful, here's what I want you to do. Because for me, um, I have two different types of groundwork that I do. I have the groundwork that is going to get my horse a solid citizen for all the things I want to do with my horse, you know, riding and hauling and all of that stuff. And then I have what I consider the fun groundwork. This is where we're going to start getting advanced and we're going to play with things like liberty and in hand work and balance and collection. So that latter one, I could do that for hours a day. I love it. I, I work on it every day, but as far as your basic groundwork, the thing that's going to get my horse broke and, and a good quiet horse and the thing that's going to get my horse riding, Um, that kind of groundwork, I don't want to get into a spot where I feel like I always have to do a half hour of groundwork before I can safely ride my horse. Maybe yeah. in the beginning, maybe the first few years of my horse's life, I always need to check them out on the ground and send them around and all of that stuff. But my goal is to get to where my horse walks out of the stall and he's ready to go. Yeah. And and I want to be able to like go to a show and it's cold out and there's no warm up arena. I want to be able to take my horse out of a stall, climb up on, and he goes and shows and does perfect. Now, that's a pretty lofty goal and it might take years to attain, but if that's my goal, the things I need to show my horse on the ground where I don't have to take him out and lunge him for hours before I go into the show pen, um, this, the stuff I need to do on the ground has to show my horse. This is what you do if you're stressed and you need to teach them to have that emotional control, that self-regulation, that self-soothing, because horses, if you don't show them what to do, they will find comfort elsewhere. And that's where you see some of the issues we saw crop up this weekend. They're, They're calling out to their buddies. They're wanting to run to the gate. They're wanting to ignore their person. That's not the horse being bad or disrespectful. That's the horse that's looking for help. So when I'm at home and things are calm, I'm going to do a lot of exercises that are like, if this happens, this is what you do and it's going to be okay. Yep, Yeah. I think it's super, super helpful. And yeah, I think, uh, I think that's just, uh, it took me a long time to realize that because the very first groundwork program I did was very kind of regimented and I just always felt like, I had to just do this and this and this and then get on. And Mm -hmm. it sort of became like a hamster on a wheel. Like we're running around, but we're not really going anywhere. And if you ever want to get to those more advanced levels, like you want to go and do high level dressage or you want to do, um, you know, serious endurance riding or, you know, in my case, I want to do fast and fancy reining maneuvers. If I'm wasting my horse by lunging around and around and around, I don't have any horse left to do the high powered maneuvers that I need to do to show at that level. Um so yeah, there's there's lots of stuff you can do to start getting it to where you're not having to just go out and go round and round and round with your horse yeah. to just have a safe ride. What?
2: So I'm, I uh-huh. got a quick question. Yeah. Okay. Good. <laughs> how, how many how I, I many people how many people were at the clinic?
1: Um, we had eight participants, I think, and then auditors. I can't remember how many auditors we had.
2: Zillions and zillions. So from, zillions, the point, for yes. the, from the point of view, someone who wants to host a clinic with Mary yeah. or someone else, what would you say to somebody who wants to host a clinic? What would you be, what would be your advice?
1: Well, one, um, find a clinician like Mary, but um, <laughs> you really, really um, look up to uh, and value their, their advice. So obviously that's most important, but also, yeah, um, uh, work on, um, figuring out like how you want that clinic to be set up. So I, you know, the, my, Mary and I have talked about this a lot too, on how we want to do it. We do one-on-one sessions, um, throughout the day, which I think we find a lot of value in. Um, but just, you know, do a lot of work around like how you're going to set up the sessions make sure people feel, you know, that they're going to come and get this good experience. And then, then it's all about marketing too, and making sure that people know that it's happening, which Mary will be coming back in October, um, the end of October to Portland. Or so if anybody is interested, feel free to reach out to me and I'm happy to get you information. Although I think we're like almost booked because everybody who came this time is coming next time. So.
0: (laughs) Yay. Okay. That makes me feel good. Yes. (laughs) So, it's and, a and one really more, good one more
2: question, people. one more question for Danny. Yeah. For someone, again, they're thinking about organizing a clinic. What advice would you have for them to get the word out about mm. the clinic so that people will want to come? Because that's one of the struggles you have. Yeah. You're going to have a clinic. You're always chewing your fingernails. Am I going to fill it up? What would your yeah. advice be to help people get the word out so that questions in their area actually know about the clinic?
1: Yeah. So I post a lot on different Facebook pages for the area. We have a, quite a few like clinics in Oregon and Oregon forums that we can post on. I also did an Eventbrite um, event this time, this is how I managed everything. So that helped. And I could do some promotions with that. If I was really good, I would do like, you know, Instagram and Facebook ads, but I'm not that great at it. <laughs> but that's a good <laughs> well, idea. I, I to think, do.
2: too, you have to keep <laughs> in mind that a clinic is a local or regional event. Yeah. So focusing your you did the right thing. You focused your efforts on reaching the local regional potential customer. Reaching the nation sounds like fun, but you really need to focus on people who are yeah. within that drive time to promote it. And how about how far in advance did you start your promotions?
1: Um, a couple of months. So uh I probably did like two or three months in advance. Also, make sure you're looking at other events in the area when you plan the dates, um, because there was a very large clinician that was also on that weekend. So that was a little challenging. So just make sure you're looking at like other events in the area um, that wouldn't or that may not overlap.
2: (laughs) Well, perfect. Well, thanks for coming on the show and chatting with us
1: today, Danny. It's been fun. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here.
0: Words & Writer On Demand allows you to train smarter, not harder. Our training video collection featuring some of the industry's top Western professionals like Bud Lyon, Cody Crow, Ryan Rushing, and more can help you perfect your horsemanship and improve your performance in the arena. Get access to hundreds of videos and learn more about events like ranch horse versatility, reining, working cow horse, ranch riding, and more for just $14.99 a month. Watch anywhere, anytime. Horse & Rider On Demand can be streamed from any smart device. Visit ondemand.horsenrider.com to start your seven-day free trial. That's ondemand.horsenrider.com.
2: So much fun okay. having Danny on. And now it's time for our next listener question. What is it and who's it from?
0: So we have a question. This one's actually from last month. It's a leftover one that I really wanted to get back to. It is from Emily. And her question is, any tips for getting more collection and self-carriage for a horse competing in ranch riding? My horse is pretty experienced, but he can get a little flat and then quick when it comes to the lope work. Um, So that's a really great question. And for those of you who are not familiar with ranch riding, it's a Fairly newer um, uh, thing that has gotten really popular uh, in the Western world, especially the quarter horse world, uh, and it usually involves – it's a pattern class, and the the horse, the ideal horse that the judges are looking for – is a horse that looks like he can go out and do a job, you know, a job on a ranch. And I love this class because they're looking for bright, expressive horses that are can really extend those gates. Because if I'm working on thousands upon thousands of acres, I need a horse that can trot out and go somewhere. Um, and the patterns usually call for lots of different transitions, even within the gate. Um, so it's like, Sort of like super Western dressage, uh, so they're <laughs> I like that. Yeah, for, it's good description. <laughs> yeah, very Western dressage type, but not Western dressage. It's ranch riding, uh, but a lot of the same ideals. You want a horse that can show um a working walk an extended walk extended trot a jog extended lope and you want that horse you don't want that horse to be super bridled up but you do want a degree of collection and self-carriage a horse that's really using himself in balance and using himself correctly um so and and unlike uh traditional dressage, these horses are usually shown with a drape in the rain, so not a lot of contact. Um, You can pick up your horse and have them in the bridle, but they really want to show a horse that's moving freely and has got that degree of self-carriage. So in order to work on this with a horse that wants to kind of flatten out and start kind of riding downhill and uh, therefore they speed up because they're, they're dumping all of their weight on their forehand. So it's kind of like the horse is running downhill. They have to speed up to be able to keep up with themselves. Um, so I would actually use the elements in your pattern to train more self-carriage. So, especially for the lope. So one of my favorite things to do, um, with my horse is to work on, uh, Lope to walk transitions. And I also really like to do this as the warm-up at the show. So I don't want my horse to think we're going to go in the ring and run really fast. So when you know they open the arena for a few minutes before they start the class and they let the riders in to do some warm-up, I go around, I don't practice the pattern um a lot. I really go and do walk, lope, walk, lope, walk, lope over and over and over. And that helps prepare my horse for all the transitions we're going to do, but it, it it's a very calming exercise. And so I will ask my horse to pick up a lope from the walk and I will only go like, I'll use the rails on the fence as a marker. I'll go a couple rails down the fence and ask him to walk. Um, so for your horse that's rushing due to anxiety, if you're always just letting them go a little bit and then bringing them back to a walk, it gets your horse to start checking in with you instead of just blasting into that lope and running off. Um, it's also good for a pokey horse who doesn't really like to pick up the lope out of the walk because you're practicing that over and over. Um, but for the horse that wants to kind of flatten out and dump all their weight on their front end and go faster by bringing them right back to walk after the lope, you are making that horse redistribute his weight on his hind end. Um, and you're practicing that over and over. So if your horse is kind of falling into the bridle and you could feel them just like flatten and fall and hollow out and fall on their front end. I would add the element in this exercise of pick up the lope, And then I would actually pick up my reins and soften them into that walk. And if they feel heavy in my hands, I might go all the way down to the stop and ask my horse to back. I do this all very gently. It's not a punishment. It's, it's just a reminder. I will I will ask for softness in that backup. Now, something that's really in style in the reigning world is they have the horse backup with their head sort of in the dirt and they're kind of behind the bridle and which is really scrambling backwards. I don't know why that became fashionable. I hate it. I actually want my horse, while staying soft in the bridle, I want them to lift their pole because that helps them free their shoulder up if that makes sense. So I don't mind. Their head does not need to be down and in the ground in the backup. I want their pole elevated to a certain extent while still keeping softness in the bridle. And I'm going to just keep gently asking for that backup until I feel them lift their shoulders out of the ground. And then I will stop and wait for a few seconds, and then I'll start that all over again. So you can do this if you're loping around, and you just feel your horse just get real hollow. You can ask them to soften in that lope, but if it's just not really working, I will just draw on them. I don't say the word, whoa, I don't want a sliding stop. I'll draw on those reins and just gently bring my horse down through the gate. So lope to trot, to walk, to stop, to back up. And that not only helps get your horse to start redistributing that way, it'll also help your stops become much softer and keep your horses front and freed up in the stops. So that's the main thing I would do. And you could do walk to lope, but you can also do lope to trot to lope, um, lope to walk to trot. Just I would do transitions over and over and over. And let's say you're doing these walk to lope transitions and you pick up the lope and your horse feels great let them lope a little longer, let them go out somewhere and, you know, let them know you're just going to leave them alone when they feel really good. And, you know, as you probably know, this is, it's a conditioning thing. It's like, if I started Pilates tomorrow, I could probably only hold a plank right now for like, five seconds, <laughs> but <laughs> over time and with lots of practice and conditioning, I'll be able to keep my core engaged and hold that plank longer and longer. But I, I couldn't go into a Pilates class tomorrow and hold a plank for a minute. It would be killer. It's the same way with the horses. You've got to put that conditioning on them. So it just takes lots of general repetition, but you can definitely get there. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. And it that's,
2: it's so hard because collection can look so differently with different types of horses, different um, disciplines. But there's certain things that are universal, right? The collection yeah. is collection from that point of view. The the pole might be a little higher or a little lower. The tack is going to look different. The amount of contact that you see might be different. But that doesn't mean the horse isn't moving forward and through his back in the same way. That That stays the same. Yeah,
0: Yeah. exactly. I mean, and any horse of any shape can learn to engage and collect. And it looks a little bit different for every horse, depending on confirmation and, and training and all of that. But, right. Yeah. And, uh, well, the horse's yeah.
2: strength, the horse's natural
0: athleticism,
2: the rider and the person working with the horse is going to come out looking different. Because what I can get a horse to do and what an Olympian can get a horse to do are going to be two different things. <laughs> So keep yes. keep your goals lofty, lofty, but your expectations reasonable. Exactly, yes. There That's we go. a great way to put it. There we go. And speaking of expectations, I expect to keep the flying insect population around my horses at a reasonable level over the summer. So let's hear a little bit from Spalding Labs about their all-natural fly predator control system.
1: If you have one or two horses, or you have 20, 30, or more fly predators will make the difference between heavy infested fly problem or a no-fly zone. Balding lab fly predators catching these flies before they become an issue.
2: So, this is the spot where I get to ask Mary a question. It's a perk of being a co-host with Mary. (laughs) Something that fidgety horses struggle with, and we have a fidgety horse, his name is Scooter. He's just a little fidgety pony. He's very rarely still. I wouldn't call him an high-energy pony because he's actually kind of lazy, but he is fidgety. And one of the things we struggle with is once he's been tacked up and he has his bridle on, he's fidgety with his head and his face. His body, not Mm -hmm. so much. That's gotten better. But as soon as there's a bit in his mouth, he's Mr. Fidget. So what are some things that we can do? Cause even getting the bridle on is a fidgety process. He's all over the place. His head goes up, it goes down, it goes left, it goes right. You finally get the bridle on and then he's just all over the place. What are some techniques for helping horses who find that whole? There's stuff on my face. I just have to move and react to it.
0: Help. Okay. Ooh, that's a good question. So when you say he's fidgety, so like when he has the bridle on and he's all over the place, what what exactly is he doing? Is it is he getting his tongue over the bit? Is he tossing his head? What what does that look like?
2: The head tosses, he rubs his face, he chews on things, the paws might the front feet might paw a little bit, but now like what well, put the bridle on and I step away. There's no movement. He's 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 reasonably still. But as mm-hmm. soon as anything touches his face, to create a stimulation. I touch his nose. I rub his ear. I touch his neck. It's almost as if he has to overreact to it. He's like, somebody's shocking me all over. I have to move. I have to touch, touch things. I have to chew things. I have to... It's, it's almost like his face is hypersensitive. Now, when we mm-hmm. got him, he really, really struggled uh, with a bit to wear. He was one that would constantly put his tongue over the bit. And then we kind of mm-hmm. worked things out. We found a bit that his mouth was happy and he was less prone to that. But then anytime anything touched the bit, even just taking the rein and picking it up and dropping it again, caused all sorts of reactions. His whole mouth is just super, super reactive. Um, But these behaviors seem to be before he goes to work. Once you get in the carriage, pick up the reins mm-hmm. and head down the road, he's Mr. Cool. It's just while okay. he's standing there with the bridle on doing nothing else
0: okay interesting so a couple of things i would check out uh which you know this you will totally have probably already been there um i would double check on the teeth yep always because yeah i i noticed that horses will get if they're due um you know maybe i haven't had the dentist out right on the you know right on the mark um Or there's something that's cropped up that's going wrong. They get really fractious to the bridle. Like anytime I touch the rein, they're just like very like, ah, you know, just. You can't do that. Yes. Yeah. Or they'll be super responsive, but like ridiculously responsive. Like instead of softening into the bridle, they're like getting behind the bit. Like there, it's just avoidance. Like don't touch it, don't touch it. And so, and I have had a situation where I had a horse that was acting that way. So I thought, I bet you need your teeth done. I had my bed out. We did the teeth. He still did it for months afterwards. And I'm like, but I had your teeth done, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and it actually t- it turned into this whole thing where he started rearing and, um, oh. yeah, that, so it just kept getting worse. But I was, I was like, but I had your teeth done. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, I had, I was lucky enough. There was like an equine dentist, like this is all they do, who was in the area. And I thought, even though he wasn't technically due, cause I'd had his teeth done, I had, I was like, well, why don't I have the dentist look at him? And he turns out he still had very sharp points. It was almost like the vet didn't do anything and he had ulcerations all deep in his cheek. So with him, it very clearly was a pain issue mm-hmm. that we had to deal with. Um, so again, that's something that I know you're on top of, but he is
2: that reactive pony in that when we got him sharp teeth, you know, that all got taken care of a long time ago. But if he's got one sharp tooth, it's the end of the universe. Yeah. So he's that pony. When the, yeah, when the vet comes out, we have a veterinarian who is a dentist, like you did. Um, He'll come out and he'll do them and he'll do Nigel and he'll do Scooter and Nigel will have Nigel and Scooter can have the same amount of sharp stuff. Nigel, you would never notice. And Scooter is rolling on his back with his feet up in the air and his X's in his eyes. <laughs> he's, <laughs> he's that guy. So, yeah, we yeah. have to keep very, very close tabs on the condition of his teeth. And like I said, he was this way when we started with him. Mm-hmm. And the being fussy combined with having a history of my mouth hurts has created this habit. So make sure his teeth are good. Okay. Next step.
0: Yes. And, uh, so, you know, things like that, uh, you've done your diligence with the bit, um, that was going to be something else I suggest is like, okay, see if different, different bit helps and, you know, there are different headstall shapes that you can get. So all of those things, definitely something worth looking into or revisiting if you've already done it. Um, so the other thing that really struck me is you say getting on the bridle is a challenge.
2: Well, and here's here's and, the funny part, because he used to be, you had to chase his mouth around to get it on. Mm-hmm. He doesn't do that anymore, because I did the put a mint in your hand when you put the bit in, so there's a mint attached to the bit. So mm-hmm. now he reaches for it, but it's not a nice, calm, quiet reach. It's, yeah. ah!
0: Yeah, it's very, yeah. like, a stress, like, I'm going to eat this cookie right now. Yeah. Yes! Um, what have I done wrong? <laughs> uh, I, it's not, I don't think it's necessary. I think he probably has had, like you said, had this baggage already. Um, one uh, one area where I will see horses do this, uh, if it's not an actual issue with the teeth being sharp, it could still be related to the teeth. So I see this problem crop up in horses that have had an experience with the bridle where someone at some point in their lives um did not take the bridle off smoothly and they do the thing that it's happened to all of us where you're trying to get the bridle off and the horse shoots his head in the air and that bit becomes like trapped behind his teeth and you're pulling down because your horse is now a giraffe and they're pulling against you and the bit has hung up on their teeth and eventually it rips out of their mouth but and it only takes one time of that happening. after that they're like you just keep that thing away from my face. <laughs> Um, yes, and that become, is really, you see that a lot,
2: especially with people who have tall horses and,
0: and arms yeah. closer to the ground. Yes. And sometimes it just happens so fast, even though you were doing everything right, they just had a big reaction. And just the angle of where everything happened, the bit got stuck, they pulled back, it finally rips out. And then after that, you're like, you don't ever put that thing in my mouth again. <laughs> um, so, you know, it could be that in a previous life, someone was careless and kind of ripped that bridle out of his mouth, uh, a time or two, but again, I've seen it become a deeply ingrained habit where they just had one bad experience with it. So in that case, I, uh, and we actually dealt with this in the clinic. So Danny's Mary Evie, um, had, was beginning to develop this problem of do not put that bit in my mouth. And, you know, she would get it in her mouth. She'd throw her head up in the air, get real fussy about it. And then once you're, once you go on with your day, they're fine, but it's just that initial little fight that you're having with your horse every day. And over time, this can get worse and worse to where now it's this huge issue that we have to dedicate hours and hours and hours to fix. Um So if my horse is difficult to bridle one day, or I've noticed it's happening a couple days in a row, I will stop everything else I'm doing. And this is our thing now we are working on bridling and I will not go on until this is going significantly better because if they start out your ride with a fight to get the bridle on, even, you know, it it it's going to permeate throughout your ride. Um, and it's going to show up in other areas that you're not going to expect it to. So even though, man, I really wanted to ride or drive my horse today, that that's not where we're going to work on. Uh, at least for a few more minutes, we're going to really tackle this bridling issue. And uh, for this, depending on the severity of the problem, I actually will take the bridle out of the situation um, And I will start with my hands Uh, and a lot of horses that I work on that are difficult to bridle. I will find they don't even want me touching them on the face. I'm like, okay, well, we're not even going to get to the bridle. We're going to work on, you let me touch your face. And that isn't just rubbing them between the eyes. That's like, I want to be able to put both hands on either side of your face and give you a good rub everywhere. I want to put my hands over your eyes, around your ears, up and down your nose. Um, I want to be able to hold your nose in my hand without you pulling away. I want to be able to kind of like massage all the area around your lips and your chin and your nostrils and have you just accept that and not pull away. If they if they tense at any one of these things, that's what I'm going to work on until you relax. Um, And then before I even start thinking about getting the bridle in, I want to be able to hold that horse's head in my hands and stick my thumb in their mouth and get them to lick and chew. And I want them to do all that without pulling away. So like if I, a lot of times I do this, I I start going through all these steps. And if I stick my thumb in that horse's mouth, they immediately start thinking bridle and they'll throw their head back. So I'm going to do that over and over until I can cradle your nose in my hand, stick my thumb in your mouth. You just politely, you know, open your mouth, lick and chew a little bit and you stay still that whole time. So if I can't do any of that, I'm not moving forward. We're going to do this over and over and several times a day, every day. It's all going to be about, just let me pen on your face. You can also, if you want to start teaching your horse to drop, drop their head, drop their pole when you do this. It's not necessary, but it's a good step to add. And that's a good idea. I like that. That would help him because
2: even though he's 12 hands high, he's never going to get his head out of the way. You know, I can always reach him, but that's a good exercise for him just because it's not something he does. You know, it's like, no, this is my head. I control where it's at. I like that. I'm going to use that one. And
0: yeah. And what you're doing with it, even if it's a horse that like, well, I'm tall, this horse is short. I don't need them to drop their pole. It's still good to teach because you're teaching your horse to soften into uh your hands. And how I do it, I don't do the two fingers behind the pole and pinch them till they drop their head thing. I will, as I'm rubbing their face, they, at some point, they're going to drop their pole a little bit, whether it's accidentally or it's them actually giving to the pressure of me rubbing on their face. But anytime that pole drops, I'm going to take my hands away. And that's how I teach them. Like when I start rubbing on your face, just soften that head and neck and drop that pole. Now I don't want them to throw their head down in an effort to evade. So if they're doing that, I stay with them. I'll like crouch down and keep rubbing on them until they soften. You're looking for just like a little pull drop in softening into your hands. So if I can get that working pretty good, I'll do another step before I bridle. I, uh, I use a really long lead rope when I'm doing my groundwork. Um, so it's like a 12 to 14 foot long lead rope and it's big and soft. It's that kind of Marine rope. Um, and I will double it and use that as a makeshift bridle because it's softer. It doesn't have the bit at the end of it. And um, so I, I just make a big loop and I, sort of put that on like a head stall with the bottom of that loop going to, that's going to play the bit and I'll practice uh, sticking my thumb in their mouth, asking them to open their mouth and I put that rope in there and take it out over and over and over again. So that's just like one step back from the scary bit. Um, And if I can do that now bridling with the actual bridle is going to start looking um, much easier for them And as far as using the food and stuff, uh, someone actually did bring up in the clinic, like, could you do this with like a treat in your hand? And I said, I wouldn't, because of the reasons you were describing of, they just start to anxiously grab for that treat. Um, The emotional control aspect is not there for him. Yeah, it's just, they're already kind of overstimulated um, with this scary exercise. And now you've brought food in. So it's, uh, it'll get them to like, snatch at you know your hand which i yeah. don't want uh yeah. but you could like drizzle something yummy on the bit so that once it's in their mouth they're like oh that's this is good. quite lovely yeah that's different um, yeah yeah it's a little less intense yeah uh, so there's no chewing involved would...
2: either once it's in there it just tastes good yeah
0: Yeah. So my guess is that the fidgetiness when he's got the bridle on is stemming from the act of getting the bridle on. So go back to that point and see if there's any changes.
2: I like it. I'm going to put them to work. We'll hear about it next time. So for folks who want to follow what you do, have you trained their horse, give the clinic, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Where is an appropriate place to find you?
0: You can find me on Facebook. Uh, Mary Kitts Miller Horsemanship is my page. And I also have a website, MaryKittsMiller.com, I think it is. I just automatically forgot what my website's (laughs) name
2: is. MaryKittsMiller.com. If you just just Google Mary Kitts Miller Horse Training, Mary Kitz Miller Horsemanship, she has great SEO. She'll pop up to the top. Yeah, there's not a lot of us running around. Not a lot of you running around. And thank you again to Kent Feeds for sponsoring today's show. This is Horses in the Morning, and we'll be back again tomorrow with more stuff. See you then.